Uh, hello again. If you didn't catch it before, my name's Tim. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'll be uh, starting this series in Ephesians, which is a real um, exciting time, uh, you know, starting something new because you guys don't know yet uh, what, what it holds for you. Um, but I just want to give you like a little bit of a glimpse. Um, our series through Ephesians, The Death of Division is going to give us a picture of the Christian life, of our Lord Jesus, that is cosmic, that in, involves and includes and embraces uh, the whole universe. And yet, at the very same time, it's a book that is very concerned with the details of your life, with your relationships, with your marriage, your family, your work life how you treat your brothers and sisters at church, how, what is church. It gives us so much relevant and practical teaching uh, on what it means for us as Christians. So I'm really thrilled and excited uh, to be getting into Ephesians, um, and I think you guys can be as well. I reckon it's going to be a real significant uh, tool that God is going to use to grow us and mature us as his people. I'm going to read our opening passage for this morning. We're going to be uh, reading chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. We're going to only look at the first 10 verses today in detail, and then next week we're going to look at uh, verses 11 to 14. So let me read, and then we'll get uh, started into it. Ephesians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory." Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for sending your Son and leaving your Spirit with us until your Son returns. 
Father, even now, by the power of your Spirit, would you open the eyes of our hearts, that our hearts and our minds and our souls would be enlightened by the truth of the gospel. And Father, might you produce in us uh, great joy and faith and hope and love that we might be able to be like Jesus in this world. Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I was a high school health and phys ed teacher about five years ago, and there were always curious things to observe about students' behaviour. I can remember one morning when I was walking from the morning staff meeting back to my office, and there was the, you know, the usual banter and laughter of students seeing each other for the first time of the day. But there was this one thing that caught my attention. It was shocking and, and quite out of place. There was a student, he must have been in year seven or eight, and he was throwing his iPad like it was a Frisbee. And it wasn't like you might expect, like he's standing two meters away from a friend of his and he's kind of like tossing it to him and hoping he'll catch it, making it, you know, taking on this small risk and then he would throw it back. No, it wasn't like that. It was like he was uh, throwing it in no particular direction, just like flinging it around. And so as he did that, it hit the wall and then it dropped to the ground and there was little bits of iPad flying off in all these different directions. And then surprisingly, he sat down with it to start playing games on it, as though it would be completely fine, but it absolutely was not fine. That iPad, shattered and broken, is a good image of the world we live in. iPads are beautifully created devices. Straight, clean lines, nice to look at, nice to hold. They're wonderfully user-friendly devices, uh, pieces of equipment. But this particular iPad was broken. It was shattered. It was fractured. Only if you squint tightly and, and hold it the right way can you see something of its original brilliance. As a picture of the world we live in, isn't it? So God created a world in astonishing harmony, a world of satisfying relationships with one another, a deep and fulfilling relationship with God, freedom to explore and build and delight in the world that he'd made, freedom to make a home. But it's a world that's now broken. It's a world that's now shattered and fractured. A world where hostile division exists between people. A world where the creation itself is out of sync with humanity. And it's a brokenness we see in the mirror also. Our own thoughts and desires reflect what we are and not what we were created to be. Our minds produce thoughts that even we know to be corrupt and the desires that issue forth from our hearts are out of proportion and misaligned. That's the experience we have of this world, isn't it? And it's not a new experience. That's the way the world has been since sin entered in. A shattered, broken, fractured version of what it used to be. 
The letter uh, to the Ephesians is the letter written by the Apostle Paul. It's one of the books that makes up the New Testament writings in the Bible. Uh, The letter Paul writes gives a diagnosis. So he's aware of the problems, the fractures, the division that exists. But he tells us what is at the root of the problem. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 to 3 says this, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Paul knows that there's a broken world, but he also wants us to know why it's broken. See, at the root of the problem is our sin and disobedience. And because of our hostility towards God, God is angry with humanity. God sees the wickedness and evil in our world. He sees it more clearly than any of us, actually. And he sees the wickedness and evil that exists in our own hearts. And he is rightfully and justly angry. We're called children of wrath. The world we live in is a divided world. And at the heart of it all is our divided hearts. The image of the broken iPad does describe our world, but, but more precisely, it's an image that represents our hearts created to be something wonderful and beautiful, but shattered and broken. So here's a question for you. Why is Paul, at the start of this letter, so positive and joyful? It's like laughter during a funeral burial. It just seems so out of place when he knows exactly the state of the world. He knows about the reality of sin and evil in the world, and yet he's so positive. Have a listen to the opening, uh, to these verses that happen throughout our passage. He's just spilling over with praise and adoration to God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace. Verse 12, to the praise of his glory. And then again in verse 14, to the praise of his glory. You see, he's spilling over with praise and adoration. C.S. Lewis was a well-known Christian thinker and theologian from over 60 years ago. And he did a lot of thinking and reflecting on the Christian life. And he has this great insight into the dynamic of praise. I'm going to read it out for us. As I read it, I want you to be thinking, what does this tell us about praise? You ready? Here we go. The most obvious fact about praise, whether of God or anything, strangely escaped me. I had never noticed that all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise. Lovers praising their mistresses, readers their favorite poet, walkers praising the countryside. My whole more general difficulty about the praise of God depended on my absurdly denying to us, as regards the supremely valuable, what we delight to do, what indeed we cannot help doing about everything else we value. 
I think we delight to praise what we enjoyed because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. He gets something really critical about praise, doesn't he? The praise is the spontaneous overflow of enjoyment. It's the abundance of delight and happiness that overflows into praise. And we find delight in praising. We delight to praise because it completes and fulfills our desires, our enjoyment. So what is it? Amongst a broken and shattered world with divided hearts, what could it be? What could it be that Paul knows that causes him to overflow with joy and happiness and praise to God? Well, it tells us there in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He uses other language throughout this, uh, throughout this passage to describe it. He uses these words, the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. This is the reason for delight and praise. This is what ought to cause us to spill over with praise and adoration. That the God who created the world and knows its evil has lavished his grace upon you and me in the Lord Jesus. In Jesus Christ, our God has been abundantly generous. He has given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. I'm just going to read out some of the verses that follow in this passage where Paul lists out the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. And as I read them, can I invite you to enjoy them? Can I invite you to delight in them? To praise God for them as I read them out? He chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. These are the treasures of being a follower of the Lord. He has chosen us to be in his presence, to be his very own, and he has done everything necessary to make it possible for him to be our God and for us to be his people. Two key key things that are worth noticing about these blessings. Verse 7, these are blessings that come to us through his blood. This all came to us because Jesus' blood was shed for us on the cross. 
Jesus received the wrath and anger of God for the sin that we had done so that we could receive God's lavish generosity and kindness. See, although we were the children of wrath, we became children of grace. And second, notice what it is that we bring to the table. Verse 7 describes us as having our trespasses forgiven. Verse 4, we needed to be made holy and blameless because we were defiled and guilty. I've heard people put it this way before. The only thing we bring to our salvation is our sin. There is no shape up and clean up that needs to happen before we come to our God. We come in our rags and we receive with the empty hands of faith what is, in, what is on offer to us in his beloved Son. Depending on how new you are to this church, <clears throat> you may or may not know that I actually grew up at this church. Uh, if my sources are accurate, I first came to this church when I was two years old. I don't have very accurate memories of, of that time of my life, and I've only spent one year away from it. One of the features of being at this church is the, is the sounds that you can hear on a Sunday morning. You can hear the sirens of emergency vehicles going up and down Albany Highway, loud motorbikes, or on special occasions, you get to hear the sound of road rage between drivers. And of course, there's the sound of the train. I think I've heard the grinding of the train on its tracks and the sounds of the beeping of the boom gates just down the road literally thousands of times in my life. And it sounds that I've definitely gotten used to. Trains come and go without registering at all in my mind that it's happening. The more I hear it, the less I notice it. And the other thing that I've done at this church is I've sat here in this church for many years and I've heard the gospel over a thousand times. I've heard of the blessings that come to us in the Lord Jesus countless times. Do you know what would be a real shame? If I heard the gospel over and over again and heard about the blessings of the gospel over and over again without it registering at all. Without my heart and my mind finding deep joy and delight and happiness in what is mine in the Lord Jesus. We can forget about the joy and the happiness that are ours in Christ, can't we? And especially when we live out our lives in a divided world, a broken, shattered, fractured world. It's a world we can find ourselves living in our disappointments and discouragements rather than out of the blessings we have in Christ. We had our prayer meeting on Monday, and it was, it was really encouraging. Uh, I find my own prayers to be, uh, I find myself to be quite weak in my own prayers. But when I gather with others, I find myself really encouraged. There was one part of the night where we divided up our church into, into the different demographic groups that live and uh, find this to be their home church. We put them on the screen and we prayed for each of them. 
Kids, teenagers, young adults, single, married, single again, parents, empty nested, retired, seniors. See, at every stage of life, there will be reasons for discouragement and disappointment. Whether it's navigating relationships in high school, resolving difficult conflicts with a spouse, feeling out of place because you're single or single again, wondering what your purpose is now that your adult kids have left home, or managing disappointments in your senior years. Life in a broken and shattered world will spit out ample reason for disappointment and discouragement. And if that's you, you really need to hear what God is holding out to you this morning. You really need to grasp what it is that's on offer. Whether you've been a Christian for a decade, for weeks, or you're still investigating Christianity, we all need to receive what God is holding out to us this morning. In the Lord Jesus, we have received every spiritual blessing. We have every reason for joy in the Lord And so we can praise him. One of the key features of this passage that we're contemplating this morning is that verses 3 through to 14 is all one long sentence. And it's quite poetic in that sense. The form of the writing matches the message of lavish over-the-top, cascading, one piling on top of the other, blessings of God in Christ. And the passage has a climax. It has a high point to it. And it's found in verses 9 and 10. I'm going to read them out for us. Making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him things in heaven and things on earth god has made known to us the mystery of his will a mystery that has only been revealed in shadows and promises up until this point now in christ it's a mystery that has been made known and it's the mystery of god's will The theme of God's will is prominent in our passage. It comes up in verse 1. Paul defines himself as an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. In verse 5, those who are in Christ were predestined to adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. And in verse 11, Paul describes God as the one who works all things according to the purpose of his will. And in verse 10, what is revealed to us is at the very epicenter of God's will. So here lies the answer to the deepest questions about our universe and about the purpose of life. What is it? God's will, the plan for the fullness of time, is to unite all things in Christ. The all things here is including everything. 
things in heaven and things on earth. Every molecule and galaxy and grain of sand and bird that flies, every country, every family, every church, every person, all things in heaven and on earth find their purpose and meaning being united under Christ. This is God's solution to a broken and fractured and divided world. In Christ, God is healing the universe that he created. He's restoring it to a harmony that's greater than it had before. In Christ, God is uniting a broken and sinful humanity back into relationship with its creator. In Christ, God is uniting the created order with the humanity he created to care for it. And in Christ, God is uniting people people from all across the world, together in the church. And in, God, in Christ, God unites us to himself and revives us from death to life. In Christ, we see God controlling history so that in the end, we will see the death of division. For those who hear the message of the gospel and believe, they will be united to Christ in a loving redemption and adoption. For those who reject the message of Christ, they will be united to Christ in judgment. What a stunning reality. Not only is God sovereignly moving his universe towards glorifying his son, he also includes us in his will. And this, friends, is where it is ultimately found. Our joy, our peace, our hope, our confidence, our security, our purpose, our direction. This is the solid rock on which to build our faith. That God is glorifying his son through history. All things are working together to unite all things under Christ. And if we compare this to the culture we live in today, we find that it is outweighs it in significant ways. One of the marks of our culture is what's been called expressive individualism. The idea that we live our best lives when we go our own way and tread our own path. And we reject the oppressive forces that tell us to do or be something that doesn't align with our authentic desires and feelings. It's what lies beneath comments like, you do you, and just be yourself. Don't let anyone tell you to be something you're not. The meaning and identity are found in knowing your deepest desires and expressing them authentically to the world. Our culture in this way wants us to define ourselves purely based on our own desires, our own internal feelings and thoughts. And so, as a result, our culture values freedom. The freedom to be whoever you want to be. Freedom to express yourself however it is that you can do that authentically. But can you see the problem with expressive individualism? 
Expressive individualism cuts you off from anything that can give your life real meaning. Because it values the individual so highly, it actually wants to cut you off from friends and family. And ultimately, it cuts you off from God. And so for this reason, it's not surprising that we see anxiety and depression at all times high in our culture. We see family and marriage and political breakdowns. And it's because our culture is starved of any resources for meaning and purpose. But in Christ, our lives are richly and abundantly endowed with meaning. Rich reserves to draw from, to give your life purpose and direction. In the grace and kindness of our God, he has united us to his son, Jesus Christ. And he has made known to us the purpose of the universe. That all things find their purpose in Christ. I watched a, uh, a National Geographic video this week about the sun. I learned that uh, researchers understand how gravity works and how to measure it, but no one really knows how to explain it or why it exists. Either way, what scientists do know is that the sun generates monstrous amounts of gravity. Its gigantic size and its mass give it what it needs to hold our solar system together. It produces critical light and warmth for our survival on this planet. And what was fascinating to me was that it, it has a magnetic field that produces protection for all the planets in our solar system. It's a magnetic field that fends off these harmful radiation uh, so that we can continue to exist. And the magnetic field is, is what interacts with our atmosphere to create these beautiful auras that come across our night sky. And I had this random thought, I don't know why it popped into my head, but I had this thought, what if you were to replace the sun with a coconut? It's completely in the realm of the impossible. There's no way that we could make the sun disappear and replace it with a coconut. But if we're just, if we're just imagining, and imagining and thinking this through, you'd have to conclude that there is no way a coconut could sustain our solar system. Its planets, its stars, its moons, its need for light and warmth. Without the sun there, it is only darkness. It's only death. Utter and cosmic chaos. And I think one of the implications of what we read in our passage this morning is that that's what it would be like to put yourself at the center of your purpose in life. There is no way that you on your own could conjure up within yourself the things your life needs to flourish. You, not to mention the whole universe, were created for Jesus. He is the purpose of your life, whether you acknowledge it or not. 
when you embrace the reality of his being of his being the ultimate end of all things and you align yourself with that you'll find that you have all the resources you need resources for joy and peace and hope and confidence and security and purpose and direction God is, has a purpose for this world. He is uniting all things in his son, Jesus. Can you understand it now? Can you understand why Paul spills over with adoration and praise? He knows about the brokenness and the fracture and the division that exists in our world. And yet, verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Let's pray. Our Father, we recognize how small we are in comparison to you you are so utterly transcendent you existed before the world was created and when you created this world you created it in a beautiful harmony a harmony that was broken by sin as it entered in and father we see a stunning picture of your grace and your mercy to us when we see that you sent your son Jesus, we see that his blood was shed on the cross for us so that you could be lavishly generous to us, blessing us with every spiritual blessing in the Lord Jesus. So Father, please might you open the eyes of our hearts that we might see and hold in our hearts really clearly and with conviction and with joy and with praise, all that you've done for us in the Lord Jesus. We ask this in his name. Amen.